All right, as you stand, as Todd said, we're going to continue in Romans chapter 8. Uh, we'll be reading verses 1 through 17. Um, if you're using a pew Bible in front of it, you can find this passage on page 651. Again, we're reading Romans chapter 8, verses 1 through 17. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do, and that it was weak through the flesh, God did by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh on account of sin. He condemned sin in the flesh, that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can be. So then, those who are in the flesh cannot please God. But you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. Now, if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he is not his. And if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the Spirit is life because of righteousness. But if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his Spirit who dwells in you. Therefore, brethren, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage, again, to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption, by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just thank you so much this morning. God, we just thank you for your word and its power to change our lives. God, may you just pour it over us this morning and use Jim to take your word, to reach into our hearts, and to, and to change us in Christ's name. Amen. For Sharon and me to be with you today. We have looked forward to this now, and, and it's exciting to finally be here. We like Kansas City. We like Glenwood. We like you a lot. Um, we, uh, we enjoy coming up here and, and, and spending some time here in the city. Um, we live down in a little town in southwest Missouri, and it's not near as much fun as, as the big town. We like coming up here. My, I'm connected to Kansas City. My father was born here in Kansas City uh, in 1920, graduated from Paseo High School in 1936. You have to be pretty old to even know that that existed, don't you? Um, he graduated then later from the Bible Institute of Los Angeles and went to Mexico as a missionary in 1944. We're, there's going to be a big gap between that and where we are right now because we don't have time. Uh, just fast forward and we're just glad we're here today. It's good to be here at Glenwood. Um, we don't get up to, to Kansas City very often, pretty much only when Glenwood invites us to speak. And so we're glad to be here. We like Ixtapa, we like, we like Arthur, and we like Jack, and we like, we like lots of things. <laughs> But mainly, we like Glenwood, okay? <laughs> That's the only reason we came. 
Anybody ready for springtime? We thought we were there, didn't we? Yesterday, we thought we were in springtime, but nope, not yet. But we're looking forward to that. Romans 8, what a great chapter in the Bible. Very clear instruction on living triumphantly and victoriously. Here in the last, the last verses that we read, let's, let's read them again, just uh, starting in 14. For all who are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. This is an amazing and beautiful family portrait. We have an everlasting, all-powerful God surrounded by his children in this portrait. All of them born of the Spirit, and all of them at the same time legally and eternally adopted. What a beautiful family portrait. And even though our great and powerful Father will never die, we also find here the reading of the will. What a blessing it is. We're going to talk about those two words today. We're going to talk about adoption and inheritance. Number, in verse 14, all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. The believer can walk and can be led of the Spirit. The verb there actually means willingly led of the Spirit. We, we must yield to the Spirit in order to be led by Him. It's, it's up to us to respond to Him in our life. He is in us. He, we are the temples of the Holy Spirit according to the Bible, but He doesn't lead everybody because everybody's not paying attention. He leads those who are willingly led by Him. We yield to Him, and, and then He guides us by His Word day by day. We're not under bondage to the law, as we see in the next verse. We're not to, we did not receive the spirit of bondage or of slavery, and therefore afraid to act. We actually have the liberty of the Spirit, and we are free to follow Christ. How does God lead us? How does the Spirit of God lead the children of God? God's Spirit objectively leads His children sometimes through the orchestration of circumstances, as he did in, in Acts chapter 16. Stuff happens in our lives, and it's not by accident. There is no coincidence in the life of a believer in Jesus Christ. And so all these things that happen to us are part of the orchestration of circumstance. And that's how God leads us. He leads us as to where we're supposed to live and who we're supposed to date and who we're supposed to marry and, and where we're supposed to work and who, where we're supposed to go and what we're supposed... He, all of those circumstances are God's fingers in our lives. But He also leads us by the illumination. That is, as He clarifies in a divine way the Scripture to make it understandable to our minds, our sinful, our finite minds are able to comprehend the Scripture by the miracle of illumination. That's the Spirit of God working through His Word into our lives. And then the Spirit of God also leads us by sanctification, divinely 
enabling us to obey Scripture. He enables us divinely to obey that which we learn in the Word of God. And so it's not just a textbook. It's not just words that are written that we have to somehow understand. We apply them to our lives and we obey Him. And that's how the Spirit of God leads the children of God. When a person experiences the Spirit's leading in those ways, he gains assurance that God has adopted him into the family. All who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. That's, that's one of the proofs. When you are being led by God, that's a proof, that's an evidence that you have been adopted into the family. Look at verse 15. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage or slavery, again to fear, but you receive the spirit of adoption by who we cry out, Abba, Father. The spirit of bondage made us fear. That fear which distrusts God. That fear that doubts whether He will remain a loving and merciful God. That fear which makes us think that all His love will someday and somehow come to an end, all that fear is gone because the spirit of adoption gives us assurance. Because of their life of sin, unregenerate people, people who have not yet come to Christ, are slaves to their fear of death and to their fear of final punishment. And even though we live in a time and in a culture where those things are denied on the outside and where the heathen are prospering and when those who deny the truth of God's word seem to have it all together and they're enjoying the prosperity of life and they act like they don't care about what comes next, there is in the heart of every unregenerate soul a fear of death. There is a fear of that judgment that is to come. The spirit of adoption is the opposite. The spirit of adoption is an awareness of the reality that God has made us His children. He has chosen us and He's adopted us into His family. Because of that, we can come before Him without fear, without hesitation, because He is our Father. It includes the confidence that we are truly sons of God. He uses a phrase here, where he's actually repeating the same word in two different languages. He says there in Aramaic, he says, Abba, Father. Abba is an informal Aramaic term for father that conveys a sense of intimacy. Every one of us has a different relationship with our earthly fathers. We, 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 we think of our fathers, we think of our dads, and, and we, have a, we, have a, we have an image we have a relationship that, that comes to mind. Some of you still have your father close by. You, you have a, a, an ongoing relationship. But all of us have something that, that connects us to our father. And, and sometimes it's not great because they weren't great or we weren't great kids. Uh, sometimes it wasn't the right relationship. But when we talk about the, the heavenly father, when we talk about the perfect father, Paul tells us that we can have an intimacy with him. Something similar to our word, daddy. It's, it's closer. It's, it's real, real close. I called dad, daddy when I was little, and then I called him dad, because I grew up. I don't do that anymore. And then I heard my older sister, who's much, much older than I, years after he had passed away, 
she still refers to dad as daddy. There's an intimacy there. There's an endearment, a tenderness, a dependence, a relationship free of fear, free free of anxiety. The spirit of adoption brings us into that intimacy. The spirit of adoption is a spirit of gratitude. I like what Spurgeon said about this. He said, the Lord did not lack for children when he adopted me. That's good, isn't it? He doesn't need more kids. Who needs more kids? Um, He did not lack for children when he adopted me. The firstborn alone was enough to fill the Father's heart throughout eternity. Yet the Lord puts us among the children. He loves us. And he brought us into the family. He adopted us. Remember what John the Apostle said, Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us, that we should be called the sons of God. The spirit of of adoption is a spirit of childlikeness. Do you see how children imitate their parents? (laughs) You just have to be old and see things, you know. I saw Todd and I... Thought I saw Tyrone. Um, they have a similarity. Now, I, I didn't mean to offend you, sir. Uh, <laughs> then he started talking. And I remember, okay, this is Todd. This is not Tyrone. Um, <laughs> there is something about children that we, we imitate our parents, our, our father, our mother. When God gives the spirit of adoption, there begins in us a likeness to himself. Even though we are sinful, we are fallen creatures, there begins in us, because the Spirit of God begins to dwell in us, and so we begin to become like Him. And that likeness, the Bible says, will grow into a perfect image. We cannot become God. We will never become little gods, but we have the privilege, the power, the authority to be called the sons of God by simply believing on His name. Look at 16. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. The Spirit bears witness. In Roman culture... For an adoption to be legally binding, reputable witnesses had to be present, attesting to the validity of the adoption. God's Holy Spirit confirms the validity of our adoption into God's family, not by some inner mystical voice, but by the fruit that He produces in us that causes us to become more and more like God. And so, He does this work, and the power He provides for spiritual service comes from Him. Remember the promise of the Lord before He ascends into heaven. The Spirit of God is going to come, and the power that He brings is going to be given to you so that you can become my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost part of the world. He gives us that power to do His service. He validates our adoption. 
there, there are two witnesses to every, in the adoption of every child of God. And two is a, is a legal number. In the scripture it says, in the mouth of two witnesses, the whole shall be established. We need two witnesses for this to work. And in the, the adoption process, there are two witnesses. The first witness is man's own spirit. Our spirit was dead, according to Ephesians, in trespasses and sin until Christ came into our life. When we trusted in the Lord, when we, when we repented of our sin and said, Here am I, Lord, I want you to be my Savior. I trust in you. I trust in what you've done for me. When we became children of God, the Bible says that our spirit was, 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 was quickened in the old English. It, it was made alive. We, our spirit became alive at the moment of our salvation. And so the first witness is my own spirit. You see, my spirit tells me I am a child of God. I want to obey Him. I desire to worship Him. Those desires, that, that feeling, that, 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 that innermost being is confirming to me that I am a child of God. You remember, I, I mentioned it, I alluded to it a minute ago. In, in John chapter 1, when, when John begins his great uh, evangelio, gospel, thank you for your help. Um, when, he, when he began his gospel, in chapter 1 he says, But as many as received him, to them gave he the right to become the children of God, to those who believe in his name who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. I have received Christ. I do believe on His name. Therefore, I have the evidence of God's written word that I am one of the sons of God. I have the right, I have the permission, I have the authority to be one of the sons of God. That is the witness of my spirit. I believe, therefore, I am a child of God. Then comes the witness of the Holy Spirit. He's the second witness. And his witness is what counts. No one can question his veracity. How does the Spirit of God witness to our sonship? Let me count the ways. One, through the word of which he is the author. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God. The Holy Spirit wrote the Scriptures. Through the word of which He is the author, He gives witness to our sonship. It is the surest mean. Remember Peter, he said, we have a more sure word of testimony. And he said that in the context of, of, of being on the Mount of Transfiguration. I've seen the glory of God on the mountain, but we have something that's better. We have something that's more sure. We have something that's more secure, and that is the written Word of God. Through the Word of God, of which He is the author, the Spirit of God confirms to me that I am His child. Two, the Spirit of God bears witness by His work in us. He is working in us. He lives within us. We are His temple, and He works in us. He, 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 he works in our lives constantly rubbing off and, and, and polishing and, and, and scraping away that which isn't right and filling us with His fruit, with His evidence. Number three, our love for God. None love God but those that are born of Him, Scripture says. We can't love God unless we are His sons and daughters. Our worship or fear of God. 
This is a childlike reverence that believers have in our hearts for the true and living God. Some dads are better <laughs> at this than others, aren't they? Where you're scared to death to be in their presence. That's not always a good thing, but it's not always a bad thing either. Uh, there, there is a childlike fear of the authority of the Father. There is a worship, a submission to Him. Number five, He works in us a holy confidence. By His grace, we feel in days of trouble that we can rest in God. When those difficult days are upon us, we have that restful peace because there is that holy confidence. When we cannot see our way, we go joyfully on without seeing because even when we cannot see with our own eyes, the eyes of the Lord are running to and fro in the earth to show Himself strong in the behalf of all who trust in Him. He's there. He's showing us the way even when we cannot see. Our faith feels a joy in believing those seeming contradictions. There is a delight in accepting those apparent impossibilities because He works in us a holy confidence. Number six, the Spirit works in us His sanctification. He makes us hate sin. When He makes us love what is pure and good. When He helps us to conquer ourselves. When He leads us to love our fellow men. When He fashions us like Christ. And, and some of these things you've already studied in this chapter. And, and you know that this is for real. The Holy Spirit of God is working in us his sanctification. He is setting us aside. He is setting us apart from the world to do a work in our lives and to bless the nations and to cause glory to the Father. There is finally a silent voice within us that comforts us with His assurance that we are His. There are moments in our life when we need His comfort. And He is there. And that confirms to us that we are His kids. Yesterday we had the opportunity to spend some time with a family, a couple whose daughter has just gone to the mission field. They only have one daughter and she's, she left a few days ago. Now she's in South America in a city of 8 million people. And he was talking about how do, how, how do you deal with this separation? He said, how do people that don't know the Lord deal with separation? At least we know what she's doing and she's obeying God and, and we, 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 we we're happy for that. Then he talked about his aging parents. And again he said, how do people that don't know the Lord deal with this? You see, there's a voice within us that comforts us with an assurance. Because this isn't all there is. And we know that. And if our parents grow old and pass away, or if our children go far away to obey the Lord, we can be comforted by the fact that we are the children of God, and God has a plan for our lives, and He gives us that calm assurance. As believers, we are adopted in God's family as His sons, but we are also His children, His born ones, by the new birth. The Holy Spirit, who gives believers life, testifies with their spirits of the fact of the new birth. What a blessed thing it is to have the Holy Spirit as our second witness. He is the one that confirms that we are His children. 
One of my dearest friends is Tony Anzalone. He and his wife, Joy, and their three young daughters went to Ecuador as a young missionary family back in the late 1980s. They are being blessed of the Lord in a great way. They have a, a wonderful ministry these days in the coastal city of Manta. Their beautiful three daughters grew up, went to college, got married. All of them have children of their own. Meanwhile, Tony and Joy adopted three young Ecuadorian children. Two of them from our daughter Stacy's home for abandoned children, Precious Miracles. I contacted Tony last night to ask him a couple questions regarding adoption. He says, to me, adoption is the purposeful addition of sons and daughters in a way that reflects God's addition of each of us to his family. Natural Earthly adoption is a picture of what God has done. And we can all understand it. We, we know someone in the adoption process, all of us. We, we know someone who did or someone who will or some of us, perhaps. It reflects what God is doing. I asked him, how is the... You have two separate groups here. You have the first three and the second three. How's the love? How does that work? As a father, I think I acted as a father to our first three daughters by trial and error. Can I get an amen? <laughs> we all... <laughs> okay. Um, lots of learning from mistakes. Lots of the actions of a loving but fleshly father, erratic in discipline, careless with communication. It was totally to be... It was natural to be totally invested in loving them. With the second set of three kids, I like to think that I've acted with more wisdom, though less energy. And I'm more spiritual. I have learned a lot over the years about God as my own father, and I think that that is reflected in my ministry to our children. I'm definitely more consistent, and I love them on purpose, intentionally, by decision. I like that. We love our kids because they're our kids. If we don't love them, who's going to love them? You know, uh, we, we love them. <laughs> we love our children. But when you choose to love someone that was not born naturally in your family, you, you choose them to love them, you've you love them on purpose and intentionally. We have been adopted. And the Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. But look at verse 17. If children, then heirs. Heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with Him in order that we may also be glorified with Him. In families with more than one child... Each child is an heir. And the children together are co-heirs or fellow heirs or joint heirs. Similarly, since Christians are God's children, we are His heirs. And we are co-heirs, joint heirs or fellow heirs with Christ. We are recipients of all the spiritual blessings now 
and in the future we will share with the Lord Jesus in all of the riches of God's kingdom. Every believer has been made an heir of God. We will inherit according to His will. We will inherit all that He has for us. We will inherit eternal salvation. We will inherit glory, everything in the universe. And this verse says that we will inherit God Himself. We are heirs of God. That means He, he is what we are inheriting. We are in a relationship that knows no limit. I am the fifth of ten children. I'm glad that my parents did not follow the Jewish practice of the primacy of the firstborn, where the firstborn gets it all. Under the Roman law, the inheritance was divided equally between the children, where the law more carefully protected possessions that had been inherited. Since this is being recorded, and there's a chance that my sister might hear this someday, I won't tell you what I think of equal, because Dad didn't understand the word real well, but, but at least he was more fair-minded than the Jewish system, that silly idea that the first kid gets everything. Remember, I'm number five. Before my dad died, he, when he knew it was coming soon, he gathered all of the children together and explained the will to us. He explained how things were going to be divided up, and he started with the phrase, no matter how much is left, once it's divided by ten, it won't be much. <laughs> we're looking at an inheritance in Christ as fellow heirs or co-heirs with the very unique Son of God. In this inheritance, there is no division. How can you divide up infinity? There is no dividing up of the inheritance. We are heirs of all there is. All of us are heirs of all that there is. Not divided ten ways or ten billion ways. We are heirs of God Himself. Joint heirs. God has appointed His Son to be heir of all things. Every adopted child will receive by divine grace the full inheritance that Christ receives by divine right. Sharing with Jesus as co-heirs involves more than just anticipating the glories of heaven. For Jesus Christ, it involves suffering and abuse and crucifixion. Therefore, being co-heirs with Christ requires that all believers share in his sufferings. Proof of the believer's ultimate glory is that he suffers. Now, listen carefully. This isn't bad news. It sounds bad. But part of the plan is that we go through suffering so that we can get to the glory. Whether that's mockery or ridicule or physical persecution, when we suffer because of the Lord, we are being confirmed that we are the children of God. 
Let me read some scriptures to you. Listen carefully. Matthew 5, 10. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. John chapter 15, verse 20. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you. If they kept my word, they will keep yours. Colossians 1, 24. I now rejoice in my sufferings for you and fill up in my flesh what is lacking in the afflictions of Christ for the sake of his body, which is the church. 2 Timothy 3.12, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. 1 Peter 4.12, beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you as though some strange thing happened to you. It's not strange for a child of God to go through some trouble. It's part of the plan. And after the suffering, we share in the glory. 1 Peter 4.13, But rejoice to the extent that you participate or partake of Christ's sufferings, that when His glory is revealed, you will also be glad with exceeding joy. 1 Peter 5.10, But may the God of all grace, who called us to His eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after you have suffered a while, perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you. But that's next week's message, I'm guessing, so let's back off. For now, let us rejoice in our adoption. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. The just for the unjust, that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. We have been adopted. Because we are now sons, we are heirs and fellow heirs with Christ the Lord. Let's go get some more kids for the family. Let's go find some more that need to be adopted. Let's share with them the good news of of God's love for them. Let's share with them that Christ has already paid the way. He's already, he's already paid the price for their sin. All they have to do is trust in Him. There are some people that live on your street. There are some people that live near you, that work near you, that, that you come in contact. There may be some people in your house that need to know that God loves them. Let's go get them adopted. Let's go show them how they can trust in Christ. And, and once they do, they become part of the family. Our inheritance will not be divided up. It's going to be multiplied. There are millions of people still waiting to hear this amazing great news that the God of heaven loves them and has given His only begotten Son, His one and unique Son, to die on their behalf. That by trusting in His death, His resurrection, they can go from death to life, from darkness to to light, from the spirit of slavery to the spirit of adoption. Let's share the good news with those people who desperately need to hear it. Would you stand with me, please, as we pray? Everyone with your heads bowed and eyes closed for a moment. As we complete and finish this meeting together, would you, for a moment, put everything aside in your mind and focus in on your relationship with the Eternal Father? 
Have you come into that relationship? Do you know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior? Are you one of His? Have you been born again? Have you been adopted? If the answer is yes, my message to you is clear. We rejoice. We rejoice in the adoption and then we get out and get busy and share this good news with people that need to hear it. And we give and pray so that people can go far away with this message to people who otherwise wouldn't have a chance. So let's rejoice and share. But if your answer is no, or if your answer is I'm not sure, or if you've never known what that peace of God is where the Spirit of God bears witness with your spirit and you don't know what that is, I, I invite you this morning to make sure that you're on your way to heaven. We want to open the Bible with you personally. There are people here that want to, want to show you in God's Word this morning how you can be saved. I'm going to pray and then the praise team is going to sing. And while we sing, we invite you, just step from where you are. Come forward. Take one of the men by the hand and say, I, I, I need to be saved. I want Jesus as my Savior. Someone will open the Scriptures with you. You can leave this place absolutely sure of your relationship with God. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for its clarity. Thank you for the opportunity you've given us to gather in this beautiful place with these wonderful people to open up your word. And I pray now your, your blessing in the application of this word to our lives. Help us to be obedient to you. Help us to share this good news with other people. And I pray, Father, especially for that one that's here that doesn't know you. May he or she have the courage to step forward and say, I want the Savior today. I want to be sure of my relationship with God. I pray your work in our hearts today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As they sing, you do what God wants you to do.